Hello and welcome to Medium of the Month, the supposedly monthly show where we go over a, a specific medium of entertainment with a new guest every single month. This is the start of season three. Welcome everyone, all these longtime fans and listeners of Medium of the Month. We're back, baby. And we're back with a big splash. I'm here with the Gotta Rank Em All um, legend and the Friendly Fire Goat, Chris Bartlett. I'm here. What's up? Um, I, I went out. I found a medium. I talked to some ghosts. I'm ready to talk about what I experienced. Not that show. <laughs> oh, no. Yes, our uh, our cover art uh, for Medium of the Month is misleading. We do have an actual uh, wizard medium uh, here to in- interpret the entertainment mediums, but uh, any kind of um, interactions with any kind of psychics will not give you actual content for this show, I'm sorry to say. Oh my God. That was a lot of money I spent on that, man. I'm spending <laughs> on the reimbursement. Uh, I'm going to lose yeah, I, I, I was going to say, is it? They offer refunds for that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's part of the contract. This is non-refundable. Any advice that you're given in this uh, medium it cannot be used against me in a court of law. <laughs> uh, it is great to have you here. Um, it, it does feel a little weird uh, being the one um, on the hosting end of this because I have been featured in a, a few episodes of God Rank Them All and I just feel like I need you to be doing the uh, show controlling, but uh, nonetheless, I'm so happy to have you. Yeah, I'm happy to be here, man. Yeah, it is weird. You've been on so many times with us, but it was my first time guesting on uh, your show. Yes, yes. And it was it's long overdue. I, I've, I've been dragging my feet, but this uh, little hiatus of the flagship show of uh, How to Waste Your Time because of uh, a little uh, paid parental leave for uh, Dada D-Rai, um gave me the extra push I needed to start reaching out to a few different people and um, recording the next uh, season of Medium of the Month. Because, it, it, again, long overdue. These shows are they're quick. They're an hour long. They're not hard to edit. I just needed to spend that extra time talking and reaching out and, and seeing what I can, seeing what the ether spits back at me. And you spit back at me uh, board games. Why did you choose that medium, sir? Uh, I love board games. Always have. But I have a ton of them. That I haven't played because I haven't had people to play with in a long time. Um, but now me and Leslie, my girlfriend, we like to play board games. And every once in a while we'll get people over to play board games. So I'm really getting back into it heavy. Um, so yeah, really want to talk about some board games. I feel like you know video games are definitely bigger for me. But I talk about video games on a bunch of podcasts with a bunch of people all the time. I don't get to talk about board games very often. That's a great point. You know, I, I too shared that love of board games. And, uh, I, I do not feel like I really, I feel like that's usually the shortest segment of, uh, how to waste your time is we just kind of brush through the, the board games. Cause a lot of times they are just simple card games. You know, we're not playing big old in-depth two hour board games every single week or sorry, every single month on, on how to waste your time. But here we have two board games that are actually, oddly enough, they're kind of the OG of, of the new Renaissance of board games. I feel like the mid 2010s is kind of when board games just got a, a second breath of life and just became uh, somewhat mainstream which is I'm, I'm very happy to say yeah for sure um like push forward even more obviously by covid people being stuck in their houses but i think it started like mid 2010s um maybe even early 2010s stuff like ascension i know was pretty big um and i think that was like 2012 2013 I'm just speaking out of my butt there but 
Yeah, because I, I grew up playing stuff like um, Catan and obviously Monopoly, Risk, and some of like the, the staples. Uh, but my, um, and you might have heard me say this on the show once, but my gateway drug into um, the world of board games was a game called Machi Koro. It was a birthday gift from one of my friends. And it was literally just, uh, it's literally just a, you roll some dice and uh, you have these buildings that you collect revenue from. And if you hit the right numbers, you get the revenue and you're just trying to like build out your buildings and just keep hitting on your dice. And it, it's real simple. There's really not a lot to it. Um, but it was addictive enough that I was like, man, let's, let's go to the local board game shop and see what else they have. And then I just found some other stuff like dead of winter. And I was like, Oh snap, this is, this is so much more in depth and crazy. And I started watching like videos of like how to plays and stuff. I'm like, man, this is a whole world and hobby that I am ready just to jump in. And my wife was very supportive of me for it. Yeah. Uh, dead of winter is awesome. Um, Leslie actually introduced me to Machi Koro maybe like three or four months ago uh really enjoy that one too if you played machi koro 2 it's it kind of feels like more like an expansion to machi koro almost but that one's also really really good i haven't played it but i am aware of its existence and i feel like we should do a legacy play of it you know just for old time's sake me and my wife but i just feel like uh i i don't even bring out machi koro to the table anymore so it's not like something that i think would get any kind of playtime if i actually bought it but uh, when i was first getting into uh board games in, in 2017 in 2018 um there's a guy at this local board game shop called the gaming goat his name was joe and uh, we talked through a few different board games that he had there and uh, one of them he recommended to me was a game he said if you like vikings you're really gonna like uh, raiders of the north sea it's, it's kind of this garp hill games this new new zealand uh, studio that's uh, on on fire right now and everything they're, they're making is great uh, you should definitely check it out and i said okay yep i'll buy it so i bought it we had a, a couple four person game nights and i was like wow honestly for my money i think this is the best board gaming gets so that's why once you had told me that you had never played it i recommended you the game um raised the north sea so what did you think of it i like it a lot um i'm glad that the viking theming is not like you know it's not essential that you love vikings i i feel like i like vikings okay uh, i like vikings less after the assassin's creed valhalla dragged on for 800 hours but Fair. um but yeah, like the the Viking theming is cool. Like I, I found with board games in general, like if you're into the theming, you'll probably like the game more. But the game works really well without that theming. Like it could be blank cards, you know, blank cards on a blank board. But the gameplay is just really good. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad you had a positive interaction with it. I I think for me, it, the Viking theme definitely drew me in because I I I do have Nordic blood in me, and I can draw some of that like Danish ancestry to like some of the uh, the old Vikings and my my dad's like dying person that he says that he's like related to is edward teach who's who's a pirate blackbeard uh but he just draws from like warriors of our ancestry past and just like will tell anyone who is willing to listen so i feel like i've definitely had that like in my head for a, a long time that like all these like great warriors of uh thousands of years ago are are, are just like running through my veins and so this is a cool way to kind of just like appreciate a small part of that that history for me but also just kind of like feel a little bit like a badass without any of like the real negative stuff that came from actually being <laughs> a, a viking of like pillaging villages and whatnot yeah i can see that for sure um yeah it's really it's a unique and interesting game in the way that it's like it is about you know raiding villages getting plunder but a lot of it is also you know something that 
I'm sure you see a lot of in New York Viking media, but it's not what Vikings are known for, which is, you know, like building resources and like running a town almost. Yeah, it's a worker placement game. So a lot of the uh, gameplay is putting down your little meeple. Um, you put one down, uh, you collect some resources or do some kind of action, and then you pick a, a different one up. So you're always having one uh, worker in your hand at all times, which is was a, at the time it was a very unique take on worker placement because everything that came before this, which I think was like 2016 or 2015, was just like you had like a pool of workers and you just like would put down all of them or you'd buy them. And you just it, it, the way that the resource works with worker placement was very unique. And it just made it more, I feel like, engaging for me. How did you feel about um, worker placement games and what's your like history with it? Yeah, I haven't played a ton of worker placement games. I played like, um, ti- it's called like Tiny Epic Kingdom or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but that that is one of those ones where you just have like a pool of workers that you're moving around. And then I just recently played Small World for the first time, which I, I think counts as worker placement, right? Yeah, um, it, ha- it has some worker placement elements to it. It's definitely like an area control uh, type of game, but there's definitely you're putting down workers in different areas. Yeah, um, which I, I do like those games, but work placement's not like my favorite genre. I'm glad this game has more kind of um, like randomness and variation that comes from the cards you get. Um, that I think makes it it makes it a lot more interesting and brings a lot more strategy beyond just like I know the strategy and I'm gonna play the strategy. You know, like it, stuff like Tiny Epic Kingdoms has random tiling that you have to play around, but I feel like you can just kind of decide your strategy immediately and go with it. There's no random, there's not a lot of random elements that are like changing your strategy on the fly with a lot of worker placements. Um, whereas this, I feel like depending on what you're getting out of that deck is going to determine what you're playing. Um, like how you're playing, uh, like, you know, today I pulled two traders off the deck. So I played to the, um, but well, maybe we should get more into the rules before I talk too much about that, but to the, like, you know, buying things in the longhouse. Yeah, I mean, there's so there's there's different type of uh, locations, and depending on uh, which location you put down your workers on, will be like what what action you'll end up doing. Um, and obviously, there's I think the the greatest the greatest thing in board games, like in these kind of long form board games like this, that you know you'll expect to go sixty to one hundred twenty minutes, um, would be combos. I feel like that for me is like I, I that's the most that's like the reason why I, I want to play board games is like I w- I'm looking for the next combo uh, that I can pull off, whether it's like a certain amount of cards I'm playing in one turn that like kind of build off the engine that I'm already working on, or it's, you know, putting a, a worker here, getting some resources there, spending it there, and then just kind of making one turn epic that you've been planning like several different turns ahead for, and then just laying it all out. And I feel like uh, Raiders isn't the best for this. Certainly there's definitely better um, experiences. I would even think of, um, Lost Runes of Arnak is like a, it's kind of, kind of similar to Raiders with the, with the worker placement, but you're doing more like actual exploring and you can definitely get some crazy turns with that, with the way you play your cards out. Uh, but I, I definitely feel like uh, when you have a good combo going um, and you, you're able to execute it with the right um, like cards in your hands that you've been waiting to play, uh, it's a very, very satisfying feeling. Yeah, I definitely felt a lot of that with Raiders. You know, it's a, it goes in like cycles. Um, I'm sure some players play it where they're like, you know, get a couple of resources and then raid and then get a couple of resources and raid. But for me, at least in two, I only played a couple games, but in the games that I played, it was very much like I'm going to build up resources and then I've got several locations I'm planning to raid because I want specific resources and I want specific things to die off of my boat 
And then I'm going to go back to collecting resources and buying things from the longhouse with the resources I just got. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely a good loop. And it always feels like there's, there's stuff to do. You know, you're always kind of trying to, to manage on, uh, what you're getting, where you're going. Um, you know, then as the game kind of progresses, you can unlock more places, basically you go to, whether that's like the monasteries out there or you go more inland. Um, and then even just kind of like setting your, your sights on, um, is it the shaman? Who's who's the one in your local town that like has the the three little cards in the bottom right of the of the board? But uh, you can uh, try to work yeah, towards that to get more victory points. Because I mean, the objective of the game it's just a classic victory point game. You're just trying to uh, score the most victory points that you can. Yeah, I think it's your your chieftain. Um, yes, thank you, chieftain. Yeah, but I, I do like I like a game like this where you're scoring points in multiple ways. Um, I had, I, the two games I played were only two player. I'd really love to play this game with four, or I think with expansions, you can get six. I think it would be a lot more interesting that way. But the two games that we did play, like, I think we both ended up maxing out armor and maxing out, like, the Valkyries killing our people. So those kind of, those kind of just canceled out. Um, and it was really just about the actual victory points plus, like, the, the things that you collect from the longhouse. Um, but I feel like in a higher player game, it's like, I mean, there's not enough Valkyries for everybody to, you know, max that out. There's not enough turns for everybody to max out armor. I think it'd be more interesting that way. That's that's a very good point. So uh, there's two other scoring trackers, basically, on, on the left side of the board, which is a it's a pretty big board, all things considered. And it's just kind of like, it, it, I like it because it actually looks like a map of basically like the um, the Nordic Sea with like, it almost looks like, like Finland and, and Norway. Um, and, it, and it's just kind of a, it's got a cool design and there's lots of little buildings and stuff, but on the, on the left-hand side of the board, there's two different trackers and those will score you victory points, how high you're able to go on the trackers. So yeah, as you have more players involved, I, I, I definitely, from my experience, I think four players is kind of where the game hums just because then you have a lot of give and take push and pull and you're kind of, um, you're seeing how other people are putting down theirs, their workers and, you know, they're blocking where you want to go and like. You have to zig and zag based off of where you are in the turn placement and uh you really gotta think a few turns ahead because like the options that you want aren't always gonna be there for you. Yeah, for sure. It's a, a thinking on your feet game. There's definitely even with just the two of us, there's several times where it's like I'm I will be building towards a very specific play and then it's like, oh well, they just raided the area I needed to raid to to finish this off. So now I gotta completely change what I'm doing. Um which I enjoy. I enjoy, you know, a game that can challenge you, make you think on the fly. And you were talking earlier about combos. I mean, that's a big part of why I still play TCGs like uh, Magic and Hearthstone and now Lurkana. It's because of those big combos um, that you can get off if you're playing the right deck. So, yeah, I think that really works to the game's advantage. Yeah, that's true. I, I think I right now I'm playing Marvel Snap. That's my uh, go-to card game. Uh, I got recently back into it after the uh, survivor uh, game that we've all participated in but uh, it's it's definitely is the combos and like the setup of the combos to play the right cards that are on the right turn that be like surprise your opponent or at least what you assume to surprise your opponent because it's you don't actually ever see them but uh, that's that's definitely some of the most satisfying stuff when it comes to playing cards um, I do love the card art in this game I will say that that's um, they use all of these Garpale games use the same artist and uh, he does a, a phenomenal job. He has a very specific style. And uh, I think he just captures the emotion of like the Vikings and of the time very well. Yeah, the art's good. The art's good for sure. Um, one thing I want to mention 
um, is that there are two like versions of this game. I did end up buying the game because my local game shop said that they had it to play, but we couldn't find it. So we just ended up buying it, which is fine because yeah. it's a good game. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's like a, I don't know, a deluxe version or whatever, and then a normal version. The deluxe version is totally worth it for like the heavy silver coins as opposed to like little plastic ones. Yes, I, I completely agree. The the components here are huge. I also, too, have the uh, deluxe version with the uh, metal coins. And it, and it just, it's such a simple thing in board games. But when you put that care and attention to your components and to your production, and you increase the value, or if, even if I have to pay $20 extra, whatever it would be with if it was just cardboard, I will make that payment every single time. Because the experience is so much better for me. I don't care if it's just an aesthetic thing or a feel thing. But when you're moving the pieces around, you're slinging out doubloons, and you're like actually like you feel the weight and heaviness before it. You, the, it's just better. You just have a better time than if I have these cheap little flimsy pieces of cardboard that I just flick around and it's like, well, this doesn't mean anything to me. It's just cheap little cardboard. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like premium components really make a big difference. And I like when the game includes those. You know, even if they make it optional, like you know, you can still get into this game for cheaper than the deluxe version, which the deluxe version I think was only like fifty bucks or something anyway. But the cheaper version's like thirty. 35 i don't know um something like that but like if you can get in get it in the actual base game and not have to you know go to etsy and be like let me buy premium versions of the material right. or whatever that's a lot better no i, I agree I, I also my number one pet peeve is when uh, a board game does not have any placement uh, any kind of like insert for any any of your items and you just have a bunch of loose baggies of all of your little um tokens and like all of your little uh, materials and coins and stuff and it's just laying around in a bag just sliding around that like drives me bonkers and uh i, I don't i don't remember i think this game doesn't have a insert does it no it doesn't yeah that's that's my number one complaint about raise the lost uh sorry um raise the <laughs> raise north the sea. <laughs> wrong wrong entertainment medium um because i that that is just such a oversight like it, it it makes me want to play the game more when it's set up and and put like put away i guess i would say set up and put away are just so like streamlined of everything has a place everything has something where to go uh, that's my number one complaint about one of my other favorite games wingspan uh so much that i uh really i, I want to go to etsy and buy an insert we did that with uh most recently that we had an insert that was being sold uh for my my wife's favorite game uh is called um Quacks of Quinlidberg, and it has a, it's like a deck, deck, it's a deck building game, but in a bag. So you're pulling stuff out of your bag, like little tokens, but it has a, an insert for every single little thing. So everything has a place. And so it's just not loose. And, and that's nice, but we had to go elsewhere to, to get that, you know, like a, a third party, you know, not actually yeah. from the company. And that just seems like, uh, it, it's, whatever money they have to spend to increase the for the price for an insert and for premium con like actual like content uh, and components they should every company should do that and if you have to do a price where you pay the full or pay reduced for lesser things then make that um pricing range available you know make that an option i, I feel like board gamers will always appreciate that yeah for sure i think um Gloomhaven, uh, obviously huge game. Um, I don't think the original Kickstarter for that had like an organizer and stuff in it. Um, and then Frosthaven did, and it makes a huge difference. Like I, I got Gloomhaven. I tried to get like an organizer from Etsy, and it was so complicated to like cut it out and glue it together and all this stuff that mm. I just gave up and returned it eventually. 
And I bought some other little organizers that help the game organize better, but it doesn't quite fit into the box, right? It's so annoying. I'm I'm glad Frosthaven actually has one, even though I have not bothered putting it together yet, because I have not even played much Gloomhaven. Never mind. Ready to jump into Frosthaven, even though I'd love to get into those games. That's fair. Those are massive, massive games that massive. require a big commitment and usually more than two people. Uh, yeah. I did I did just invest in Gloomhaven. Uh, I think it's called Bugs and Buttons. It's like a solo oh, yes. game, a solo RPG that you, you've shrunk down to the size of like a bug and you're like trying to escape. So that was something where I was like, oh, it fits in this little box, $15. I can just play it on my own time. I don't have to invest in anyone else. So that, that seemed like a perfect little thing for me. But uh, I, I've never played Gloomhaven or Frosthaven and I don't think I would buy them mostly because I wouldn't want to teach them to other people. I, I would play with other people who taught me how to do it, but I just wouldn't want to be the one teaching people how to play those games. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the when I learned how to play Gloomhaven, it was like a two-hour tutorial video or something. Like, those yeah. games were very, very, very dense. Um, but, like, uh, you know, you talked about your intro to, like, complex good board games, not Monopoly and Life and all that stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, mine was Arkham Horror 2nd Edition, which is a very, very complex game. So I jumped into the deep end. So I like those complex games, but they're, they can be a pain to learn and a bigger pain to teach yeah there's board games is is wild because it's it's, there there's something if you go to board game geek which is the uh i would call the bible the online bible of board games uh, almost encyclopedia as well um where you look up a certain game and then there's something called the weight and the weight of the game is a scale from one to five and it's telling you how difficult the game is through its like sometimes even just its concepts but other times it's like how many different choices you can make, how long the game will go on. A lot of things will factor the weight. Uh, I like games. I, what I found, my sweet spot's like 2.8 to 3.2. Like those games usually have enough complexity that I'm like, I'm cool with. I'm enjoying. I got some options here and I'm having a good time. And I'm also not going to be playing for four hours. Whereas like once you start getting to like 3.5, 3.8, you start crouching that number four of the average. Uh, then you start like getting stuff that's just way too... Uh, way too many choices it's going to take way too long to play and you just start losing me um and i really haven't played many of that of those upper scale complexity games because again i'm the board game aficionado in my group so if i don't want to actually learn the game sit down and play it and learn it and write down some kind of teach for it then um it's never going to get played and i have a game that's like that and it's so unfortunate because i they're so it looks so cool and I, I, everyone's favorite game from 2016 is called Scythe. Uh, yep. And it's, it's got this like almost steampunk, like post-industrial vibe to it. Uh, it's rating on uh, the weight rating on uh, BoardGameGeek is 3.44. So again, that's outside that 3.2 range. And whatever reason, it's just complex enough that I'm just like, every time I try to like watch a video of how to play it or start thinking about it, uh, it's a very, very popular game. I just... Um, I just can't find myself actually getting into it and, and doing what I want to do. Yeah, I have not played Scythe either, but that that was one of the big ones like back when it released in 2016, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, That like, you know, I was very interested in getting into. It's just like, it's complex and you're going to spend a lot of time learning it. And there's games that do similar concepts that are a lot like simpler to learn. Like the Civilization board games are obviously not on the level of Scythe, but like they kind of mess with similar elements of like building a city and stuff and they're a lot simpler which is surprising from civ but uh the board games are simpler than the video game yeah it's just weird that the it's the only medium that's really like that like we obviously know because we're in the video game community of like difficult video games like 
obviously the Soulsborne games we know are like notoriously hard, but there's nowhere that anybody has any kind of rating of how easy or difficult the game is. Um, not the, nowhere that I know of, at least, which would be an interesting thing to be like, rate, rate the difficulty of this game because the difficulty of the game usually can be adjusted. So I guess you would just have to uh, go off what the normal mode is or the default mode um, and then average out almost like an open critic, um, just kind of average out the scales of everyone who gives the difficulty rating. But then it, that would only be helpful to like a handful of people because most people don't care how difficult the game is. They'll just play it anyways. So it, it, I mean, movies can be sometimes be difficult to watch. Uh, you know, it really board games have this unique issue that uh, you have to consider of like, how much prep work do I have to go into this before I can actually enjoy it? Because most stuff you can just go, you can just actually play the pick up the the video game, the tutorial in the game. You learned there. You start the TV show yeah. and you're in the TV show. You, you know, maybe anime you got to turn on subtitles, but pretty much every other medium that we enjoy, we just go. And so board games have this like conundrum in my life especially of like how much our time are you willing to invest into this before you can actually have fun in this yeah for sure i think uh there's a lot of people that talk about in the video game space like it is one of the few mediums that have like a technical hurdle like a skill hurdle in order to be able to engage with it at all and that's why a lot of people just you know are like i can't play video games i don't know how to play video games i'm not gonna learn right. board games have a very similar but different issue like you're talking about of like this big learning curve where I think, you know, it's not like anybody's not going to have the technical skill to play them. Like you're just moving pieces around a board, making decisions and stuff, but the time investment and the like desire to use that much brain power to do something where you're supposed to be having fun. Some people, you know, don't have fun, like engaging every ounce of their being into a game like that. Um, yeah, it's it's like a similar but very different hurdle that I, that video games don't face. Well, they do face it if they have bad tutorials. Uh, that's what tutorials and video games are for: is teaching you how to play the game well. Right. And for for um, comparison here for the folks at home, Raise the North Sea is a two point five five weight out of five on Board Game Geek. So it's it, it sits around in that sweet spot for me, where it's actually it is pretty easy to learn. You do have a lot of options, but it's once you kind of understand the flow of each turn. Um, of, of that worker placement of that card um, abilities and like what your objective is of how different ways to get um, victory points it, I feel like it's really not that complex of a game and I would agree 2.5 feels like a, a good rating for it because it has options but you're not gonna be like you could watch maybe a 20 minute video and you'll be good to go and just you'll, you'll be playing it right away yeah for sure um before we move on I had a few other things I want to call out about the game um it's really weird that they give you that really big bag to like mix up your components and you just do it once at the beginning of the game and then put them on the board like i don't know why they have a giant bag in there um that's fair do you just like i mean do you store all of your components in that bag so they're all in one place like i, I don't know it just feel it feels unnecessary um um the other thing i don't know if you have like a favorite card or best card other than the heroes the heroes are obviously supposed to be like super op but the berserker right. is probably my favorite card just being able to keep cycling that forever is amazing yeah and i love the card out for the berserker as well yeah for sure uh i like the the huntsman it was one of my favorites uh also um just looking at the card art on the on the bgg uh he, he has he's wearing like a, a elk pelt on his head and he's kind of got like a spear and he's all like tatted up on him. It's, I'd lo again, I love the art here. It's, it's just one of my favorite. Um, my favorite artist and, I, and Viking theme does work for me. I, I am more biased towards Vikings than you are for sure. 
Yeah. Um, a few things about the actual gameplay. I really love balancing your like Viking crew between different stages of the game. Like there's some Vikings that are like get an extra victory point when you siege at the harbor. Um, and that's obviously mostly gonna be useful for you early on. If you draw it later in the game, you're gonna want to just like discard it for resources or use its playability, which I don't remember what that is. Um Whereas, you know, later in the game, you want ones that are like reduce the number of resources it takes to siege your fortress or you want ones that just have higher strength. And eventually, assuming that you're, you know, playing for, you know, something other than just taking as many fortresses as you can, you're going to want ones that probably have zero power like the trader, but give you a bunch of extra victory points at the end if you're fulfilling other conditions. Um, so I like kind of transitioning through those and having cards that are like, if I'm getting, if I get this early, it's kind of useless i should probably just get rid of it for now but then like if i hold on to it till the end of the game maybe it's gonna score me like 10 points or something you know could be crazy yeah i definitely i you will see um that synergy is a, a big part of the game that you gave me as well uh but that's i i like games that kind of synergize with different cards or different moments or different locations so that you can kind of again have more options in your strategy and have more ways to score those victory points yeah, and then the the other big thing I want to point out with the gameplay is that there's three different colors of workers. You start out with only black workers, like, down in the village, and each player's starting uh, worker is a black worker. Um, and you slowly upgrade to, like, gray and then white, but it's not strictly upgrading. Like, the black worker specifically gets you more money, so you kind of want to try to invest in getting money early. You can only hold eight, like, uh, silver, I think it is. Uh, you can only hold eight, so... It's not like you can just hoard a bunch of silver and then get rid of all the black uh, workers either. Because as soon as you invest a worker in a raid, you like that worker is gone. Like once you've raided a bunch of harbors with those black workers, you've got a lot of gray and white workers eventually in the mix, and you're not always going to be able to get those three coins with the black worker. So kind of balancing that and making sure that you don't get rid of all the black workers if you're still needing a lot of money later in the game. Uh, I really like that. Although, I mean, the game kind of encourages segregation. Can we talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> if if you if you want to touch there, I think the I think the colors are uh, um, irrelevant. Yeah. I think that's the joke you're getting at here. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the colors don't actually matter. It's just funny. <laughs> it it is um, ironic. Ironic. Let's go with ironic. that. Ironic. <laughs> that's a better word. Um. Yeah, and the other thing that's a little odd. I don't know what the elegant solution to this is, but like when somebody completes one of the three game ending conditions the fact that it goes all the way back around the table and they get another turn just feels like it's a pretty significant advantage maybe that's just because i'm only playing two-player games but it feels like whoever made the play that is going to end the game at least in our experience will probably win the game because they get that extra turn yeah yeah i could, i can see that um I, I think that's just a way to like i guess a, a lot of games that i've played usually don't um let that player go again uh they'll usually just be like you know finish out till the first player whoever's like the first player token yeah uh, gets their turn uh, once it goes back to them then that's when the game ends so if you're the first person then everyone gets a whole nother turn again just so it's, everyone has the same amount of turns so that yeah. is an interesting uh, problem yeah and i mean maybe that's the elegant solution and you know if it if it continues to be a problem and if we play like three or four player matches then maybe we'll just house rule that you know that's the great thing about board games is you can just make up whatever rules you want really absolutely you can play however you want to play that's why i like pinball so much because it's like you can do whatever you want to do especially if you have your own machines 
Like no one's, uh, there's no rules that you have to follow. You just play the way you want to play. Yeah, for sure. All right. So this is a how to waste your time show. This is uh, adjacent. So as you know, uh, we do rate everything out of the 100 scale. So what would be your rating of Raiders of the North Sea? Hmm. I'd say like a 83. 80, the oh, great 83. Very solid, good game. Yeah, I love it. I'll, t- I'll take it. I'm, I am very impartial to it. It's my favorite board game. So I, I'm getting it like a 99, 98 in that range just because it really cemented my love in, in the um, medium and just helped me start a, a whole big collection. So, but I, I, um, I think uh, th- there's other games that are similar work replacements that I think are better technically, but there isn't one that I think I like more than uh, Race of the North Sea. Yeah, I mean, Totally fair. I don't. I. I don't know if I can name a work replacement. Maybe Roots. Roots kind of work replacement. I think I like that better. Weird asymmetrical gameplay. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, if, I mean if, if you're the birds in that game, you're definitely like. There's a lot of work replacement there for the for the whoever's playing with the birds. Yeah, yeah. The I, there's like a raccoon, right? I've only ever played two player games, so I haven't played more oh. than like, I think it's the birds and the foxes or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. The woodland creatures. Maybe no. I played three player. Um. But yeah, I think it's like a there's like a raccoon or something that's literally just one worker. But yeah, um, we don't need to talk about Root. Root's a complex game. We don't have the time. We do not have the time. So instead, we're going to talk about the uh, board game that was recommended to me by uh, Chris. He gave me Clank, a deck building adventure. Um, so what uh, what did you what did you see in Clank? Why why did this game uh, you recommended me out of all the board games you've played? Um, well, first of all, we just played it recently, just relearned it recently. Um, so it was on my brain, but, uh, I love deck building games. The first one I played was Dominion, which I think was the first like really big one. And then I moved over to Ascension and eventually found Clank, which is really just like Ascension, but with a board added a board and like moving around like you wouldn't, you know, any board game that you know of like a Monopoly, but better than Monopoly, a lot better than Monopoly. Um, (laughs) shouldn't even said that word poison the game for millions of people cursed this well this yep. is the this is the blurst season of uh <laughs> of eating the month as it, as it is officially known last season season two is the, was the curse season but season three is the blurst season so the thank you for bl- thank you for blursting us with monopoly's name you're welcome for the blurst um but yeah uh basically you do have a deck of cards that you shuffle together um there's always going to be i think it's six in clank that are out on the board for you to either purchase or there'll be monsters for you to defeat. Um, and the way that you purchase or defeat those cards is with um, cards that you already have in your deck. You start with 10. You always draw five at the end of your turn to play on your next turn. You will always play every card in your hand. There's no like mana resource or anything like that. And the cards either generate uh, attack power to kill monsters or they generate resources to buy cards to build a bigger deck to continue you know making bigger and bigger combos and there's some cards that'll be like you know remove a card from your deck and eventually you want to use those to remove first of all the two negative cards that start in your deck that give you a clank the titular clank but then even the ones that are just giving you like one attack or one energy you want to get rid of those too because they're just not as efficient as every other card you can build in your deck um so it's really deck building is about building a really efficient deck and eventually cycling out your starting cards so that your deck can be as efficient as possible but then you add in the elements of the board in this game where you're trying to sneak down into the dungeon grab treasure and then get out without dying um 
by creating too much noise and having the dragon attack you, which are those cards that give you clank. Every time you clank, you're putting yourself at risk of being attacked by the dragon. And if you get attacked by the dragon too many times, you will die and just straight up lose the game if you're, you know, too deep on the board. Uh, yeah. How do you feel about the game? Th uh, thank you for introducing it. Um, I I really liked it. I think it's a great game. I think it's the, it, what you hit on there is uh, exactly what works. It's the combination between deck building and dungeon crawling. The two things together kind of working in unison every turn is really satisfying because basically every turn you're able to move uh, for the most part in, in the actual dungeon and like keep going further and further in the depths as, as they're called in the game. Uh, sometimes if you get stuck based off of like what's different kind of pathways because every room has a, a path to go from point A to point B. Some are locked. Some have monsters that give damage if you pass through them. Some require two movement steps instead of one. Uh, and if, so sometimes you can get stuck if you only draw one movement card and you, and you need one or uh, if you have to fight two monsters and you don't want to take damage, so you choose not to move. Um, so there's a lot of uh, kind of options that you have uh, behind uh, what you're going to do on your turn. And I do appreciate that this game wasn't so hard to um, actually uh, teach. I, I didn't, most of the time I write down to teach. Um, I just kind of make up a, a bunch of notes in a notes file. I write one down and I kind of go over everything. But this one I was able to memorize. This is a, a weight of 2.22. Uh, I watched the video the night before. Um, and then I invited two of my friends over, my coworkers. And um, my, my wife's um, colleague uh, let her uh, borrow his copy of Clank. And I just had it in my house. So two of my colleagues came over, um, Valori and Andy, um, and they all three of us played a little three-player game, which was really nice. I think three players probably the sweet spot for that because there was still a lot of interaction, a lot of clanking that was going on, uh, and we, you know, there's some of the take this where you force other players to to make noise, and I, I love the, um, I called it contributing to the clank. It, it feels like a, like almost like a <laughs> digging in the mines, you know, just something like. A necessary chore that everyone had to do it was like, oh, time to contribute the clank, buddy. You know, put put your cube in the mix, and we're gonna draw a, a bunch of cubes from the bag. And it was always exciting. Whoever had, got chosen to, we we just kind of took turns uh, of drawing cubes from the clank because uh, it was if you draw if your cube gets drawn, that's a damage. So it's like you just kept on hoping that uh, that a black cube would get drawn, and that's like that's basically a non-attack by the dragon. And so we just kept on, you know. Show me the black cubes, run the black cubes. But once all the black cubes are out of the bag, then everyone's just getting damaged every single time. Yeah, for sure. I love that mechanic. It's very, it's very like stressful. It also, there's, there's several cards that are like, you know, minus two clank or something. Cause when you make noise, when you clank, um, you add it to the clank pool, but it doesn't go into the bag until the dragon attacks, which happens when certain cards are placed into like the card pool. Um, they'll have a symbol that just says the dragon attacks this turn, basically. Um, so trying to like balance cards that make clank because there are cards that will make like three clank, but they're worth like you know six resources or something. Like they're worth a lot of resources, but they put you in a lot of danger. But then you'll use other cards that remove clank, and that's part of building your deck. Is like if you're going to take these cards with high clank, you need to be able to get the cards that remove that clank in the same turn, kind of high risk, high reward. Or you can just stay away from all the clanking stuff entirely and take a slightly weaker deck, but try and combo with that instead. Um, which I think is you know some interesting decisions that you can make over the course of the game. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think the the clank mechanic obviously is core to the name, the the titular title, so it's a cool little addition. I did feel like um, 
there was too many dragon attack cards. Um, I I just we got to after every sequential dragon attack, you move up your dragon um, token on the dragon tracker, and then once it maxes out, it's like you're drawing five cubes every time. And I felt like we maxed out after like the like I feel like you had to move it maybe five times, and I feel like on like the seventh card purchased we were already maxed out and i like reshuffled after like it was almost maxed out and i still got like i just feel like there's way too many dragon attack cards i was like that's crazy that we've already worked our way to the top so uh needless to say we were all hurting by the end of the game which i guess is how it should be um we all had like one or two more damage that we could take max and then we would have died uh which one one person at the end of our game did end up dying valori ended up uh before making it to the top, she died uh, in the castle, so she was able to take all of her relics with her because that's that's kind of the key to the game is going down, grabbing these relics, and coming back up. So I like that it's like a clear objective of like moving up and down the board, which isn't super common in a game to move uh, v- vertically. I feel like usually you're moving circular or horizontally, but not like a, a vertical, actual physical movement where you, you can kind of picture it in your head. Like I'm going through the castle, down in the depths, and then coming all the way back up. Uh, but if you make it back up with your relic, you do get a twenty uh, point victory, twenty victory points token, uh, which Valori did not get, and she ended up losing by ten points. So if she didn't die in the dungeon because of all the damn dragon attacks, then uh, she would have been good. She just took too much time moseying around, and I ended up uh, winning in our in our playthrough. Nice, congratulations. Um, yeah. Also, when you make it out of the castle, you start like a countdown to the end of the game because every turn you're gonna make. The, another dragon attack like an extra one on top of the one that can happen from a card being drawn from the deck and that makes it really really dangerous for anyone who's still in the depths trying to get more relics if you've ended the game quickly because it's really easy to pop into the dungeon grab like a really low value relic and then pop back out um but once you like leave with a relic and get up all the way back up to the top like you're done and you're forcing the end of the game and everyone who's still down there needs to get out or they're probably gonna die pretty quickly and even if they don't die, they only get, I think, four turns, three turns, three or four uh, to get out with their relic. Um, otherwise, they're not going to get anything anyway. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, I think it's it looks like it's about four turns. Uh, but it is a good in-game mechanic. I do give this the slight advantage over uh, Rays of the North Sea that um, the the ending condition is not uh, is, is met by the players. Like the players really have to choose when it's time. Uh, so you could be a jerk and try to end the game very quickly, or you could be like, be like, Hey, let's all do our part. But at the same time, you could also kind of meta game it with uh dragon attacks, but like, Hey, nobody buy any cards. And then none of us will take any damage. And then let's just be happy with the cards that are in our deck. You know, th- there's a lot of like little workarounds to stopping the game from actually happening, which because it was just our first playthrough, uh, Valori had already played a few times before. So she was familiar with it, but it was mine and Andy's first time playing. And so we, I think we all stayed pretty true to it. Um, a, a fair amount of take this. She bought two cards that made us contribute to the clank, and she would just play them all the time. So we'd keep mm-hmm. contributing to that damn clank until, uh, again, we we had to try to, to try to heal any chance we got. But I got very lucky because I'm sure uh, that bag ended with at least six or seven of my cubes still in it before I after I escaped. Yeah, the the one thing I'll say about the ending is I think it rubs, I mean, I know it rubs some people the wrong way. Um, Like my, I played with my brother and his girlfriend the first time and uh, they were the first ones out of the dungeon and they were just kind of like, it, it sucks that like I'm the one that finished the game, but now I have to like 
kind of just sit here and do nothing right. for four turns waiting for the game to finish yeah you don't and, play any of your cards in your deck or anything anymore right yeah and i've, I've played other games that are like this where it's like once you're out uh, then you're out you know you just have to wait for everyone else to continue play um i think everdell is like this when you when you uh, reach the end of the season you just wait for everyone else and then you start the next season once everyone's ready to, you, at the same time uh, so a lot of different card placement type games i've, I've played a lot of deck building games, uh, my own several of them. I think um, Dune Imperium has a deck building like portion of the game that I think I would prefer over this, um, just as far as like what what's in your base deck and what how do you interact with cards. Uh, I think the card art is really generic. I, yeah. I think I think that's a something that the game really suffers from is it just it's generic fantasy. Like every card is like a, usually a character or like a thing with just like no background of like like the background's like a I guess it's supposed to be like in the dungeon, so it's just like uh, bricks, white bricks, background almost like a castle brick, and then it's like the character featured. It, it just is very uninspiring. Uh, but yeah, no, I agree. I think that the like the the art is generic, and it's also just like I don't know. It almost feels like the art from like uh, all those fake mobile games you see ads for on Facebook. Like it's totally. not a it's not a great look, and like Clank in Space has better theming in terms of like there's like races that they've made up and stuff like space alien races but the art still looks like those mobile games it's not fantastic but yeah i looked at that too i think I've, i'm gonna look at the underwater one see how that is uh, i think clank in space does have a better um i like the map a little bit better mm-hmm. um valori and chris liked uh they didn't own clank either they actually went to the local beta game store and bought uh clank catacombs which is basically yeah. the exact same game as clank except you um uh, the map is not a board it's like a tile placement game now so you kind of yeah. build out the map and the relics kind of appear as you go which is a nice twist to it i would probably prefer that as well uh, but it still doesn't solve the problem of the bad card art and like i don't i don't like your starting deck i feel like all that art is like ugly and like i don't know i i i, I like um other other card game that i, I referenced earlier a deck builder game um lost runes of arnak it has a very similar starting deck, you know, just a very simple action movements and whatnot. But there's something the Indiana Jones like Tomb Raider style art. Uh, it, it's very very fun, and it's all of the card art is really like exciting and just better in every way. And the fact that it's also a worker placement game just kind of gives it the edge to this. But I also feel like that came with time too. Like I think uh, 2021 is when 2020 or 2021 is when um, Arnett came out. So they had a five years to learn from Clank's mistakes and make games better. And that's kind of the crazy thing about Board Games Medium. Is it just keeps on getting better. They keep on releasing games that iterate off of last other board games that you've played and known. And once you kind of get familiar with different types of like abstract strategy, or if you start like getting into like social deduction games, you start learning like what the key elements of each one are. You take that knowledge and you apply it to games that have like five or six of these major components all put in one. And I think those are some of the best board games I've ever played. And that's why I like Lost Runes of Iron Act is a little bit better than uh, something like Clank that seems simplistic in comparison. Yeah, I just looked up Lost Runes of Iron Act, definitely adding it to the list. I, li- I do like that art a lot more. Um, yeah, the the other like big thing uh, I want to say about Clank, I, I, had a, I had a similar experience the first couple times I played it where the dragon track would always fill to the top and it was a little frustrating, but I think that's just like, that's just the game's design is that you're supposed to be in danger pretty quickly, especially right. if you're flanking a lot. Um, and I think it works to the game's advantage to not make it drag out 
for a super long time, especially if you're playing with four people or six people you can play with with the expansions uh, or the like adventuring party expansion. Um, and I specifically want to call it that expansion. I, I haven't been able to play with it yet, but I did get it recently. Um, but that does redo your starter decks. Like there's six different characters you can play as that have their own starting decks and like passive abilities and stuff. That brings some extra complexity to the game. I'm really excited to try that out and see how it plays. That's cool. No, I'm, I definitely am going to buy us. I, I don't have a copy yet, but I'm definitely going to end up uh, uh, buying a version of it, whether that's uh, in space or under depth or catacombs. I'm going to buy something um, because I, I did really enjoy my time with it. Um, and I think the more you, the more times you'd play it, which I'm not, um, I'm not someone who bring who plays board games enough for how much I have. <laughs> I own yeah. like 75 board games, and we we play a, a board, like maybe like once or twice a month maybe we play board games uh, me and my wife or uh, we, we used to have board game nights with our friend group super frequently but once my daughter was born then it became like difficult to either we'd do them at night and so then we'd bring her over at night and then she'd have to sleep in like the play a uh, pack and play and that became difficult so now that uh, she's a little bit older um it really shouldn't be a problem to have them here with certain couples but then another couple just had a baby so the the child is is gonna be a, a challenge now, but a solution later because I got a built in uh, board game companion. So as she gets older, I'm gonna keep playing different board games with her and kind of introduce these different like core elements like I talked about. And by the time she's ten, she'll be a whiz, and we'll be a uh, you know we'll be having like weekly board game nights. So I'm looking forward to that in the future. Yeah, for sure. That sounds awesome. Um, yeah, I I also have way more board games than i have time to play um i mean especially i've accumulated a lot of board games over the last like three years when i just literally was not having game nights uh every once in a while i convince my family to play a game and they'd be like this is too complicated i'm done um but yeah now we're trying to have uh you know more regular game nights um trying to get people over to play them and stuff so hopefully we'll get around to a lot of those a lot of those board games we haven't played and a lot of them are playable with two players um it's just not always, you know, the perfect number, like with Raiders of the North Sea. Yeah, no, I, I hear that too, Mike. Cause I, I do, we do play some two games, two player board games together. Uh, I'll specifically buy two player board games like Splendor Duel because it's like a, it's the two player version of Splendor and it's like definitely a lot tighter. I'll buy those games specifically because I know it's just a better experience and I'm pretty much usually only playing them either with Steph or with D-Rai uh, when he comes over to, to play a board game to talk about for the show. Um, and that's, that's kind of my solution, but yeah, unfortunately I have, I have quite a few four player board games that are just still in shrink and it is a, it is an issue. Um, it's, it's just like, I don't really want to learn it and teach it and play it with just two players when I know this game is going to hum with four. And so then just getting the other two people over is, uh, kind of in the struggle where I've been to. So I, I, I hear you on that one. Board, board games are a social, uh, gathering. And that's why I, that's why I love board games is because like it's competitive, but I'm never mad when I lose. Like as long as everything was fair and like cool and everybody was like composed, like I always just enjoy the ride. Like I win or lose, it doesn't matter to me because like the playing of the board game, the experience of that is awesome. If I if I win at the end, awesome. I'm I'm glad glad I was there. Uh, I do feel bad sometimes when I wrote the teach and like teach everyone the board game, and then I end up like destroying. I'm like I I, I just you know I, I I try to tell them it's like my Either it's like my second time playing it or third or whatever. And like, I, I might have a leg up on them, but like, I don't yeah. want to like, I don't want it to be a bad experience for them just because I know how to play it a little bit more than they do, you know? 
Yeah, for sure. Definitely, like, the first time playing a game with someone, I will I will not tell them what to do. I will never tell someone what to do, especially in a cooperative board game. Like, do not tell your other players what to do. Why are they right. even playing if you're doing that? But I'll I'll be like, here here's, like, what the options are that you have um, so that they can kind of, you know, I don't know. I feel like it's easy when you teach somebody a board game for them to tunnel in on, like, a handful of things that you taught and, like, not not have the full picture of every option that they have, especially with those more complex games, like more complex than the games we're talking about right now, probably. Um, so just kind of guiding them through what their options are and letting them choose themselves, uh, I find helps with that issue of them, like just getting completely outclassed because you, you've played the game a couple times before. Um, but yeah, it can be really hard. And then, you know, if they have a bad time because you just crush them, then you, you're going to have to either find a new group to teach or <laughs> they, they got to get over that hump and try it again, you know? Yeah, no, you're you're so right. I I think um, cooperative games do suffer from quarterbacking. That is a uh, classic tried and true problem of uh, one person just leading the group and telling everyone how to play their turns. Uh, and I think the alternative route of giving options is always going to be better. Even in games like Clank, uh, where I I understood it more and Valori understood it more because we had watched videos, she had played it. Um, but Andy coming in fresh face, not knowing anything about this board game, I, every single time it was his turn, I'd be like, all right, so now you have seven. Uh, you know, focus points or whatever left to spend on uh, cards in the market. These are what you can buy. And I just try to always give him his options, just kind of streamline the game for him so he wouldn't feel so overwhelmed. Uh, and I definitely think that's, that's the best way to guide anyone through a board game that might feel like uh, a fish out of water because some of these games do feel overwhelming. Like when you feel like you understand everything and you try to teach it to other people, and they're like, uh, I'll, just, I'll just learn as we play, you know? And then so just yeah. giving options as the game goes on is definitely the best way to, uh, I think, work around uh, some of the problems that come with board gaming. Yeah. Um, me and Leslie taught my cousins uh, camel up this past weekend. Um, nice. And that game is actually really, really simple. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, without like having created a teach for it, we made it sound really complex. And then like, you know, one or two rounds in, everyone's like, okay, I get it. This is really simple. Yes. Yeah. Camel up is de deceivingly simple. Um, but I, I, I agree. I, I taught my family at Thanksgiving. We went over uh, last year and uh, I taught them all bang the dice game, which is like, mm -hmm. um, it's a, a little bit of a social deduction game, um, it, but it's also just like team, team based. You're just either shooting people and taking away their health by the, the dice you roll or trying to shoot everyone depending on what, what faction you are. And so that was so much fun just because I could like, see what dice they roll and then let them know like, Hey, you can hold on to these dice. If you're going for this, uh, this, this one's will mean you're going to shoot people that are one or two spaces like seated away from you. And just kind of going through that with like, I mean, I had little kids playing with us, you know, like nine, 10 years old and everyone had a great time from nine to 45. And, uh, that's one that they still talk about, you know, uncle Holden coming over and teaching them all bang the dice game. And that's like a core memory for them of like what board games can do. So, there's definitely some magic mysticalism that comes from board gaming. Um, even if you don't get to play it a ton, I think there can be like certain plays that will just stick in your mind forever. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, for me, like some of those plays that stick in my mind forever are very, very long nights of playing Arkham Horror, you know, six to eight hour campaigns in Arkham Horror. Um, but I, I totally understand that's not for everybody, but doing that with like a committed group who really understands the game and everybody's like, talking to each other and coordinating different decisions and every every single person is offering other people like here's something that you could do right now that i think might be a good idea 
that you know not everybody at the table is thinking about that's where a lot of uh, my enjoyment of those really complex games come from and where a lot of my core memories with board games come from having started with such a complicated one um but you can get those memories from you know any game if you have a good teacher and a good group to play with yeah i i agree and i, and I think a lot of times you can mold that group too i mean just start off with simple stuff introduce those concepts uh from board game to board game and then you can start jumping into the heavier stuff i mean you went the opposite way but and i'm glad that yeah. worked out for you but obviously not everyone learns that way uh, i think just just starting off with uh those core concepts and i think clank is a great one if this is your first deck builder clank is the like really really good one to like just kind of intro to, to deck building uh what does it mean to like shuffle through your deck adding cards to your discard um what are these concepts of like the, the shop and like interacting with a shop to fight monsters and stuff just like little neat things like that um really uh help you flesh out this concept because like when i tried to explain deck thinning to andy he wasn't getting it he was like why would i take things out of my deck like why would i want to remove stuff and i'm like well like look at this one this one you just add clank like you don't you don't want to draw this and play this you're just gonna have to add clank every time you play this card this is a negative card so you just want to get it out of your deck and then like even teaching him like well, this is only a one movement card, but this card you play has two movements. So you obviously want to draw the two movement more. And so Clank is really good for that to uh, bridge that gap in people's mind. Yeah, for sure. Like Clank literally having a card that only does a bad thing is really easy to teach somebody you don't want that, right? So get rid of it. Um, I think it took me a while because I started with Dominion and then Ascension to like learn that, yeah, you want to get rid of all those starter cards by the end of the game. So yeah, I think Clank is a really good one for introducing those concepts. I did want to ask, um, because I love deck building games so much, do you have a favorite one that you would recommend? Mm, pure deck building. Um, I think, I think, uh, obviously Lost in Arnak has a big part of deck building, but uh, probably my favorite pure deck builder, and, and I can't even say pure, because I guess this isn't a pure deck builder either, because you have the, yeah. the movement of the board, but closest to this, I'd say is the quest for El Dorado. It is a, a game where you are, um, it's a race game where you are racing from one side of the, uh, the map to the other. And um, you're trying to travel through um, different type of hexagonal um, movement spaces. And the cards that you play from your deck help you move through them. And so you're, uh, trying, you're trying to get the first person to get to El Dorado and collect the treasure, basically. And so you're adding different cards to your deck that help you move across the board more easily. Um, and uh, you're, you're buying it with gold that you collect from playing the cards in your hand. And it's, it's the same kind of thing. You start with a, with a base starter deck of simple movement stuff, and then you just keep on progressing your deck. And you can use uh, uh, different kind of like people to help you on your way to um, move quicker. So it's a real simple game in that, in that way. But I, I just like, I like the uh, gameplay loop of every turn, you know, having those options. Uh, the game can go really quick. If you kind of chart out your route and try to get there as quick as you can, other people can block you. It's really good with like four players because you can have, uh, I think it plays up to six, which was my favorite way to play it as well, just because you have so many different people on the board doing so many different things um, and, and taking up space for because you can't obviously go through players. You have to go around them and different like obstacles like mountains and whatnot. And there's a bunch of different like, I think there's like uh, 10 different boards that are double-sided. And so you can create a new map every time that you play it basically. Um, so that's why I would, I would recommend, uh, quest for El Dorado over this. Um, they're, they're very similar in the way that you travel. Uh, in, in, but it's, uh, I do like the theme a little better of quest for, uh, for El Dorado. 
Yeah. Um, looking at Quest for Eldorado, it looks like it just got a reprint this year, but I think the, the art and the, the base version is probably better. Um, sad. Um, but yeah, I'll add that one to my list for sure. Um, my favorite deck building game is still Ascension. It's a very simple game. I mean, it's very, it's very much like this game, but remove the board, but the cards are a lot more complicated. Um, building a deck is a lot more challenging, I would say, like building a deck that is cohesive. It's like that the cards have colors, kind of like a Magic or Lurkana or whatever, where you can basically be like, I'm going to build that color, I'm going to build those two colors, and you can build a deck themed pretty easily, but it's a lot more complex in terms of what the cards do. It's like the most complex cards in Clank are like, take three Clank, and you get six energy, and you remove a card from your deck or something like that, um, whereas in Ascension, they can get they get really complex of like, gain two lore, draw a card, get rid of a card in your deck, do like a bunch of stuff because of this one card um and trying to make decisions on how to build a deck that's going to be efficient with that can be difficult uh but i like that challenge it's still my favorite deck building game i have like three expansions to it at this point out of like 12 but still <laughs> nice um I, as far as ratings go uh i'm gonna give uh this an 85 out of 100 um i think it's a it's a really great game and like i said i've I, I love how quick your turns can can go. If you, if you just get on your hearse, you know what you want to do. Um, my my turns would often be done in like thirty seconds, just because I I knew I already had my my hand drawn. I knew what I was going to play it out. I was kind of thinking about that while other players were were playing. But uh, Valori did suffer from uh, paralysis analysis, and a few times I had to be like, "All right, all right, get going, come on," <laughs> you know, because because she just wouldn't want to make it. Well, if I go this way, then I do this thing, but. Well, if I want to get this relic, then I should go down here and buy this. So I need, you know, and just like a lot of a lot of really good board games suffer from that. So if you are know if you know that you're someone that suffers from paralysis analysis, I think just um, work around it by um, just planning your turn ahead, and when it becomes your turn, just go with your gut and and roll with it because that's that's what I had to do to kind of get the game going. And we wanted we were in a time crunch, so completing it in two hours was our goal, she, and we were able to achieve it, which was really nice. Yeah. Uh... The last time that we played it, uh, we had six people and I did not have the expansion yet. So we played it in pairs, which I think was really fun to kind of like discuss strategy and, you know, have two people discussing what the right way to go is and what the game plan was. Um, but also it definitely dragged the game out longer. Like, you know, if one person can have a decision paralysis. What's the word you use? Analysis paralysis. Analysis paralysis. Then, yeah, two people arguing about it. Um it, it got it got to be a lot for for some of the the pairs i will say uh, i'm sure yeah but yeah super fun game uh i i probably do like a, a 90 i really love deck building games and this is i think my second favorite one that i played so nice yeah i, mean, I have it ranked number 32 on my top 50 board games of all time so it cracked the top 50 hell yeah well that's all i have for you on clank um i again i want to say thank you sir uh and thank you for, for coming along on, on medium of the month here uh, I'm, I'm so happy to be starting season three with you brother uh no one else i'd rather start with here because uh, like i said long overdue uh we we had, we had seen each other recently you came through uh through vegas i'm looking forward to seeing you again at the end of the month uh, hopefully we'll, we'll do some breakfast or something together i think it should be a blast oh yeah dude it was good to see you can't wait to see you again um Thanks for having me on for the inaugural episode of the Blurst season. The Blurst season. Thank you, sir. And, and the time is yours, sir. Feel free to plug anything you want to so that people will know 
where to hear that sultry, beautiful Arizona voice. Yeah, yeah, you can check us out. Um, we we have a couple podcasts over at Friendly Fire. Uh, if you go to we we don't have a YouTube URL, so go to YouTube and search for Friendly Fire Games Pod, and you'll find us. Um, or you can search for Gotta Rank Them All. I think we'll probably be at the top. I certainly hope so, because uh, we have a ton of episodes of Gotta Rank Them All. That was um, a very long, long, long running series that uh, you were on a couple times. A couple times, uh, I'd say, Holden, uh, where we ranked every single Pokemon on a master list. We will be back to rank new Pokemon as they come out. There's already a few that came out with the last expansion, but we'll probably wait for both the expansions to uh, the new game. Uh, I can't remember the name. What's the new one? It's not Sword and Shield anymore. Uh, oh, Violet uh, and yeah, Violet and Scarlet. Violet. Yeah, the, is it with Frozen uh, Tundra? Is that the Frozen Tundra? I think is. Or no, Frozen Tundra was in Sword and Shield. <laughs> Sword uh, <laughs> whatever. Bad. The, the, they're all the blurring together. Yeah, they're starting to blur together. They look too similar. Uh, go back to sprite art. Um, but yeah, once those expansions are out, we'll probably do another episode, and there might be another podcast on the horizon that's Pokemon focused. Um, so people. You know, get excited about that if you like Pokemon. But otherwise, we are talking about doing another game club here during the holiday season, maybe. I uh, don't want to talk about what it is because we haven't locked anything down yet. Uh, but we might be doing one soon, which, you know, was our lead show when we first started Friendly Fire. And then every once in a while, we'll do a, what is was supposed to be a weekly show where we just talk about games and kind of bullshit around. Uh, so if you like our voices and our attitudes and us being rude to each other, which is why we're called Friendly Fire, because we are always taking shots at each other. Um, Come check us out. Yes, please subscribe to the Friendly Flyers Games podcast um, channel. Um, is where you'll find that that got to rank them all, and, and it's it's completed now. That's the good part. Is you you just queue up all sixty nine episodes, nice, hell yeah, and um, put them on your on your your feed. You're gonna get through. Uh, you have a lot of hours of a lot of fun because I, I loved listening to all sixty nine episodes of that podcast. It was a delight to be a part of it, and. Um, looking forward to future episodes as the more games come out because it's it was just a great concept as everyone knows here on the show i love ranking things and listing things and it's the ultimate list of pokemon and uh i'm i'm, I'm very grateful that you guys spent all the time and hours into that because it, it came out to be a, a absolute masterpiece of a podcast thanks man we really appreciate it yeah um it was a lot of work it was a lot of hard going i appreciate your advice early on on editing podcast because those first episodes kind of rough listen audio wise i will say it gets better if you start on the first episode you can't stand it audio wise. Tip like twelve episodes in or something. We improve. I swear. Yes, yes. The the show keeps on getting better. The the guests keep on improving. Once like people start understanding what like the vibe of the show is, and like they start taking like shots and like uh, you know different Pokemon get dragged down and uh, put lifted up, and it's just uh, it's a lot of fun. And so uh, it's definitely a, a worth a listen if you're a fan of Pokemon. It is the definitive. Uh, pokemon show ranking all pokemon including all the extra versions and uh variants and regional um exclusives and um more pokemon than need to be ranked are ranked and that's that's why the the show is so beautiful yeah you won't believe number one that's not yeah. fate, not for you i don't know what it is <laughs> Number three, number three, <laughs> number three will light your pants on fire. It actually will. <laughs> All right. Thank you, sir, so much. Uh, so, so uh, thankful uh, and happy just to finally put my medium of the month across down and uh, put my editing hands and fingers on the keyboard and just 
get started with meeting month again. It's glad to have that that monkey off my back. Oh yeah, dude, this was super fun. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, and folks, remember at home. Am I supposed to say something? I don't know. It's because I was wondering if you're going to say something. I I, I thought you had an outro. <laughs> you were looking for something. Um, good 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 luck. Have fun. Play games. Enjoy those mediums. Yeah. How's that for an outro? Does that sound, that sound like good. Yeah. Sound don't <laughs> don't uh, clip anything. Don't enjoy, even shorten that very long pause. <laughs> enjoy all the enjoy every medium. Watch consume everything. <laughs> consume everything. Eat the rich.